Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. Whoa. Oh, come on. Can't we all get along? <laughs> all right, let's get today's show going here. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Wednesday, June 17th. Is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank these font, these uh, unions for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you, unions. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben Jarofsky, I believe we have a song of the day request. Yes, we do. A request from a listener in Washington, D.C. Whoa. Uh, whose name is Levion. And uh, he requested the following song. <clears throat> Hold on. Let me get ready. You know, I got to do it right for requesting. I mean, it's going to sound awful, whatever. <laughs> However, way you prepare. So let's just do this. Oh, he's, gar- he's gargling, guys. Oh, yeah, I feel good. Pavarotti does that too. He gargles before he sings. Joy to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the boys and girls. Woo! Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Joy to Dr. D. Whoa! Hey! <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was pretty good. Come on, man. I got a million of them. Whoa. <laughs> you have a million of those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Wednesday, June 17th, and still live from Ben's attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson returns. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Trump's Balancing Act Wednesday. And here's why. Great column today's bright one by Lynn Sweet. Yes, Lynn Sweet, the pride and joy of Von Steuben High School. I know you didn't know that, D. I just thought I'd tell you that. She's a graduate of Von Steuben. Oh. Uh, yes, the things I know, huh? Uh, she's been covering national politics for my beloved bright one for a long time. She does an excellent job. Uh, and as such, as the correspondent covering national politics, the D.C. decoder, as they call her in the bright one, she had to cover Donnie Trump's press conference yesterday where he announced police reforms at a press conference in the Rose Garden of the White House. As we know, uh, there's a serious problem in this country because cops are beating the hell out of black people and shooting them, uh, generally without reason, uh, usually without reason. In fact, I would say pretty much universally without reason. 
And so for this press uh, moment where he said he's bringing the country together, Donald Trump assembled no black people who have been beaten by cops and a whole bunch of cops. So there we go on the bringing everybody together beat. Uh, The headline was breaking down Trump's balancing act. Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, No kidding. Balancing act here. As I see it, here is the balancing challenge that Donald Trump faces as he confronts this problem. He must figure a way to continue to throw red meat to his cop-loving, black-people-resenting base while, somehow or other, convincing open-minded swing voters in Wisconsin that he's really a sweet guy who likes black people. (laughs) That's Trump on a tightrope. Yeah, that's Trump. That is actually pretty good. Like, I'm trying to... Uh, As Trump said it, I don't know if you have this one, D, but my favorite quotes, uh, Sarah Cooper did the bit where Trump said, uh, it was like a couple weeks ago, MAGA likes the black people. So that's what Donald Trump is trying to do. He's trying to convince uh, voters, swing voters in key states like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, voters who who support he will need because he he cannot get reelected just from MAGA. MAGA alone does not have the votes to reelect Donald John Trump. I'm just saying that to all my listeners in Wisconsin. You swing voters, you're pivotal in this thing. So he has to kind of convince you that he's really a nice guy who doesn't have anything against black people and uh, while still keeping the base fired up. Uh, <laughs> I would say he's uh, he's like uh, Nick Wallenda. Remember Nick Wallenda, D? He's the tightrope walker. So Donald Trump is a Wallenda. He's trying to walk that rope, and let's break it down. And I want to thank Lynn Sweet. She did an excellent job of breaking it down. Here's her. Thanks, op- Lynn. Uh, <laughs> here's her opening statement, or her opening statement uh, in newspaper jargon. That's called the lead. So the opening- sorry, Lynn, that we meant the lead. <laughs> the opening sentence. <laughs> Lead as in spell as spelled L E D E. Took me years to realize that. I didn't know lead was spelled L E D. You're kidding. No. You you really didn't go to journalism no. school, did you? No, I never went to journalism. Did you know it's spelled L E D E? No. I didn't know for years. Some some reader editor. Reader editors have been saving me from myself for years. Hey, what do we call these things on our head right now? Uh hubcaps. <laughs> They're called cans. Oh yeah. I forgot. Oh, yeah. Uh anyway, here we go. Here's the lead. <clears throat> lead. Uh, that's a journalistic term. L-E-D-E. Yes. That's correct. Hey, B-E-Z. Hi, he knows what a lead is. Hi, I'm all right. Here we go. President Donald Trump on Tuesday signed a narrow executive order on police reform, an action unthinkable a month ago, coming as protests grow across the nation against police use of excessive force. Yes, indeed. An action unthinkable a month ago. Yes, it was unthinkable because until the video was released showing Derek Chauvin killing George Floyd, it never occurred to anyone in the Trump White House, including Donald Trump, that he had to address this issue of police brutality because, electorally speaking, the only people who seemed to care about it were black people and a few malcontents like myself. And we weren't going to vote for him anyway. So, as Adolfo would say, hey, beep. Um, there we go. Yesterday's interview with Adolfo Mondragon set all kinds of records for swearing. Dude wasn't even trying to not cuss. <laughs> no, he, 
You know, but I can't really get down on him a little bit, Deke, as you say this, because, you know, Joe Rogan show, the number one podcast in America. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky show. <laughs> what number are we there in America? Uh, we're somewhere in the top 10,000, I okay, would say. Right. Uh, so, you know, if we want to be number one like Rogan, we have to loosen up a little bit. All right, D? I still can't do it, though. I can't bring myself to say the F word. Anyway, uh, but that's what Trump was saying. He had two middle fingers up. The hell with all you guys. I don't care about you. I don't care about your issues. But now polls show that white people, yes, white people, want something done on this front. So Trump, even Trump, has to look like he's doing something. So Trump says this. I'm not going to read a quote from our president. Quote, reducing crime and raising standards are not opposite goals. They are not mutually exclusive. They work together. Reducing crime and raising standards. Something Donald Trump's worried about. You know, have you ever noticed something about Donald Trump? He's always concerned about reducing crime, except for the crimes that he's committing. And he's not so careful or worried about reducing them. Like when Donald Trump commits a crime such as like, oh, I don't know, extorting the president of Ukraine. Remember that one? He's like, dirty cops! It's the cops that are investigating Donnie Trump are always the dirty cops. The cops that, what, are just killing black people? Well, they're like good cops in tough situations. Interesting concept. Uh, he loves all cops except for the ones who are investigating him. Anyway, back to the balancing act. Lynn Sweet writes, hold on, let me find it. Here we go. You know what I've noticed about Donald Trump? I'm not a doctor. <laughs> he's not a doctor. Yeah, he's not a doctor. <laughs> but that doesn't stop him from giving advice. Uh, try this bleach. Trump's balancing act, and this is uh, Lynn Sweet, a quote, Trump wants to keep the image as the law and order pro-police president as he sent tweets accusing Democrats of being soft on crime. He said in his speech, quote, I strongly oppose the radical and dangerous efforts to defund, dismantle, and dissolve our police departments. Somebody in that Trump White House is into alliteration, D. Do you see that? That's something... Dennis has always told me, do alliteration. And look at this. Someone in that Trump White House must have gone to a radio school, D. Listen to this. The radical and dangerous efforts to defund, dismantle, and dissolve our police departments. Dissolve our police departments. I've never told you to do alliteration. I'm just, you know, in radio, it's pretty catchy. It is pretty catchy. And Dottie Trump. Monroe Monday. Oh, that, was, that may have been the catchiest one of them all. Um, yeah, so uh, he wouldn't want to do anything radical uh, in regards a situation that is pretty radical, as in uh, radically awful or unacceptable or just radically against everything we're supposed to stand as a society. So he wouldn't want to do anything radical, you know, just like around the edges. Is that what you're saying, Donald Trump? Just sort of around the edges. So he came up with this executive order that, uh, well, Let's uh, go back to Lynn Sweet. An executive order. Uh, the Justice Department will be able to use discretionary funds for grants, uh, supposed incentives for local police departments to meet new standards. Here are some of the highlights. A ban on chokeholds, except when deadly force is necessary. Now, that's interesting, that exception. When is a chokehold required? Uh, when is it, like, deadly force is necessary? I can't imagine. Like, a chokehold? Why would a chokehold, of all the things to... The chokehold, I'm, I'm just trying to visualize a moment, any moment when a chokehold would be necessary. I mean, I guess suppose if you're in a wrestling match, but why did it dissolve to the wrestling match? And even if you are in the wrestling match, why would you go to the chokehold? 
I just, I can't imagine a moment where a chokehold would be necessary. And then, like, who's going to evaluate when it's necessary? I mean, the federal government's going to step in and have a panel that's going to review it. So what kind of useless, worthless position that is? A ban on chokehold, that's not a ban. Hmm, okay. The creation of a national database to track cops with a history of using excessive force who have been successfully sued for use of improper force. Well, that, that uh, makes sense. We should already have that. So that does make sense. More mental health services. This one just always fills me. I mean, I, it's hard to make a joke about this one because every time something, like there's a shooting, for instance, uh, where a lunatic goes out and goes to a school and sh- just randomly starts shooting people, the, the Republican response is, we need more mental health services. Not, you know, we need to have uh, more enforcement of gun control laws because the guns is not the problem, the mental health is the problem. And then they don't ever give the, the money to mental health services. They just say it, and then they forget about it. So it's just like their go-to position. Oh, we have to fund more mental health services. Then no help. And by the way, Democrats here in the city of Chicago cannot let you off the hook. You've been defunding mental health in this city for as long as I can remember, closing health clinics. Somehow or other, justifying the closing of mental health clinics as good for the neighborhoods in which they're closed. So yes, this is sort of a bipartisan problem, particularly in the city of Chicago. I'm not going to let Democrats off the hook on this one, particularly one mayor, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot did not reopen those health clinics, I like to say, uh, in the last budget. So, uh, you know, she's partly responsible. But this, this one really just aggravates the hell out of me. You know, more mental health. Oh, yeah, that's going to put that in executive order? Well, why don't you actually distribute more money for mental health services? Why don't you actually mandate that uh, police departments spend some of their money on mental health services, like hiring counselors instead of cops uh, to go and deal with some of the situations? I don't know why police are sent to half the situations they're sent to, or I don't know about half, but many of the situations. Still don't know why police are sent to domestic, to quell domestic violence. Don't know how that's going to work. Anyway, more mental health services uh, as a proclamation as opposed to actually funding more mental health services. And then encouragement to work with Congress to, quote, improve law enforcement practices and build community engagement. Talk about utter vagueness uh, in a sentence. You know, it's funny. When he really wants to emphasize something, he gets the the speechwriters to come in with the alliteration, uh, like, uh, you know, defund and dismantle and, uh, uh, and dissolve. But when he wants to get vague and not do anything, he has them just come up with something vacuous, like to improve law enforcement practices and build community engagement. And here's what Lynn Sweet wrote. What Trump did not address, quote, racial profiling, systemic racism, bias, the history of lack of trust between police departments and communities of color, why his Justice Department has not pursued police department consent decrees, end of quote. In other words, what he did not address, absolutely everything. Donald Trump. And then he closes with his favorite tactic, blame Obama. Yes. And I quote Lynn Sweet, Trump wrong. Obama, Biden did pursue policy reforms. Quote, does anyone vet Trump's speeches? Trump said, quote, 
President Obama and Vice President Biden never even tried to fix this during their eight-year period. The reason they didn't try is because they had no idea how to do it, and it is a complex situation, end of quote. That's Donald Trump. Uh, and here's Lynn Sweet. What is true is that Obama, the nation's first black president, left office with police brutality still an issue. He did tackle it on multiple fronts, including his task force on 21st century policing and other Justice Department programs. The final task, or task force report was 116 pages and filled with recommendations. Recommendations, I'm sure, police departments across the country ignored. Right? Let me just say something about Republicans and Obama. It's funny how Donald Trump is saying Obama didn't do anything. The whole time, anytime Obama even addressed this issue, he was taunted and teased by Republicans. He was mocked. He was maligned. It was an effort to undercut him. Constantly that effort to play to that base, to tell the base of the Republican Party that Obama is somehow or other doing something to them hurting them when he tries to address an issue that might improve the life, the lot of black people in this country. I just think of one instance that popped in my mind from early on in the Obama administration. It's when a friend of Obama, uh, the professor Henry Louis Gates, had a confrontation with a Cambridge, Massachusetts police officer at uh, Henry Louis Gates' home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I think the man's name was Joe Crowley. Don't quote me on that one. I'm just doing that off the top of my head. And they had this confrontation. Uh, Crowley arrested Gates. It, it was Gates's house. Uh, and they took him away in handcuffs. And uh, Obama, when he first heard about it, said something along the lines that the police officer uh, had behaved badly. I think he may call him a knucklehead or something like that. I can't remember the exact word. And, uh, and then there was immediately Republicans counterattacked. You know, how dare you insult the police? How dare you not do an investigation? How dare you try to handcuff the police who are doing their thing? They were investigating a crime. People are concerned. And so Obama, to diffuse attention, he had the great beer summit where he invited uh, Henry Louis Gates and the police officer who arrested Harry, uh, Henry Louis Gates to the White House. They were going to sit in the White House lawn under a tree and drink beer. And they even invited Joe Biden. This is, this is how... The, the, the Obama White House acted. They're, everything, they're so conscious of the optics, how it's going to look. This is, this is the Obama administration. They learned this from the Clintons, and uh, they played this game to a T. So if you're going to have Henry Louis Gates, a black man, and Officer Crowley, a white man, and President Obama, a black man, uh, then you had to bring in another white guy just to sort of balance it out. So they dragged Joe Biden into it. Remember that? Day? Hey, Joe, <laughs> Vice President, come here. You're going to be in the beer summit too. Biden's like, okay, I like beer. So they had, they wanted to make sure they couldn't have two black guys and a white guy in the picture, even though one of the black guys was like the president of the United States. You know, they had to bring in the other white guy. I can't imagine in a million years Donald Trump even worrying about that. But why are the Democrats worried about that? Because they were constantly under siege. Anytime, anytime a Democrat, it doesn't happen, happen nearly enough, I'll admit that, but anytime a Democrat tries to address this issue, boom! It's like they play the law and order card, Republicans, coming at them strong, trying to scare white people. Like any time you try to pass a law or pass some kind of rules and regulations that would keep cops from just beating the crap out of black people, it's somehow or other dangerous to white people. It's somehow or other favoring black people over white people. That's the game the Republicans have been playing for a long, long time. They even did it during Beer Summit Gate making fun of Obama, taunting him, teasing him, rolling their eyes at him. 
man, I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. Republicans have been worthless on the issue of cops policing black people. And I wanted to say this to my good friends up in Wisconsin, you swing voters, I know you're too smart to fall for Trump's BS. We got a great show today, Monroe. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The the, the phone, make sure the kids hear words. Huh? It's important that kids hear words. We have a great show today, everybody. Monroe Anders, he's fired up. He's going to reveal on the show for the first time his nickname. How about that, huh? And uh, he's got a new mantra. November is coming. He was telling me all about this. November is coming. Uh, and he's also got to talk about the changes you see. I can't believe them either. Uh, the changes have been happening, uh, culturally speaking, in our country in the last two weeks. And we'll ask the question, how long uh, will the changes continue? Or will we just go back to the old ways? So Monroe Anderson coming on uh, really soon. But before we do that, the man from Alton, the man they call Dr. D with the news. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. We begin with the governor. Today, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is at the North Lawndale Shopping Center. He's actually uh, there as we speak, Ben. Mm. Ah, He's there with Senators Kimberly Lightford. No, not Lightfoot, Lightford. Omar Aquino and others to discuss grants to help businesses impacted by COVID-19. Now, Mr. Pritzker. I'm not a perfect person. Yes, we understand that, but sir, we're gonna need you to practice some social distancing and give your colleagues the proper six feet because as we learned yesterday, just as the show was wrapping up, uh, that Illinois Attorney General, Mr. Kwame Raul, recently Mm. tested positive for COVID-19, making him the highest ranking state official to contract it. So I don't really mean to pry into our attorney general's personal life here. Honestly, it feels a little gross and gossipy. So call me Karen if you will. But but it is worth noting, and shout out to Shia Kapos and Illinois Politico for the info here. Go subscribe to Illinois Politico every morning, an update on all things Illinois and Chicago political news. But Kwame Raul, Governor Pritzker, and other officials just attended an event June 6th in Calumet City. According to his PR team, this has prompted the governor to get tested. The governor wore a mask when interacting with people June 6th, but is taking a test to confirm he's as healthy as he feels. Cook County State's attorney Kim Fox is also getting tested. She was at the event. Uh, State Senator LG Sims and numerous members of the Legislative Black Caucus also attended the event, but it's not clear if they are getting tested. So let's all collectively send good vibes to our elected officials in Illinois. Yeah, I hope uh, they all asked uh, Donald Trump. We have that Donald Trump tape about negative and positive. That, That was a funny little bit. Uh, but I hope, yes, uh, their tests come out uh, negative. And, uh, yeah, social distancing. You know, D, I, every day now, it's, it's funny, the country's sort of going back to uh, its uh, coverage, its obsessive coverage of the pandemic. Uh, the New York Times, I follow this all, every day, sort of dropped the coverage during the uh, height of the, um, uh, the unrest following George Floyd's murder, and now they're bringing it back. So they're doing the numbers and, and, and calculating uh, the states that are having the highest increases in the states that uh, where it's falling. Illinois, I'm happy to say, at the moment uh, is falling. So I 
if that's because of J.B. Pritzker and a stay at home, kudos to him. But yeah, we can't forget that the pandemic, we're still in the attic. You know what I mean, D? It's sort of like this country forgot we were in the middle of a pandemic because all the other problems were so overwhelming and forced to us to confront them. Uh, but yeah, we're still uh, in a pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. So Governor Pritzker, I hope uh, it all, did they say it came out negative, D, for Governor Pritzker? He had the test, but it didn't say. I, I don't have the, that. Yeah, come on, Governor Pritzker wishing you well okay let's talk about mail-in voting ah. because governor pritzker signed a new law expanding mail-in voting in illinois for the general election the law allows nearly five million illinois voters to receive applications to vote by mail those applications will be sent to anyone who voted or registered to vote in the past three years now we did do show prep and ben was a little tripped up by that part uh the past three years after filling out the application and sending it in residents will receive a ballot the law doesn't include anyone who voted in 2016 okay yeah this is uh where my dyslexia kicks in and so it takes me a while to absorb uh, information that ordinary people f pick up really fast so i just make that as a confession uh, explanation of why I didn't do so well on all those standard tests. So when, when uh, Dennis read this to me, I go, wait a minute. And I just started trying to pick it apart because it just seems so counterintuitive. But essentially the law uh, only goes back to the, the really the 2018 statewide election. That was the last statewide election we had, 2018. We had a statewide election for governor. Remember that one, D? That's how J.B. Pritzker got elected. So everybody who voted in That's that, how that happened, huh? Yeah, that's how it happened. We talked a lot about that back in the old days, back at the old place where I forget where we worked. Anyway, everybody who voted in that election will get uh, an application for absentee, according to uh, my interpretation of this article in... Uh, political but people who voted in 2016 will not get an application and so when i thought about that I go, well that's well that doesn't make sense there's probably more people voted in 2016 because it was a presidential election than the number of people who voted in 2018 which was a gubernatorial election and as you all know more people vote in a presidential election so effectively the law that's to intended to encourage as much voting and participation in the electoral process as you can possibly have is flawed, in my humble opinion. Uh, if you really want to encourage participation in the electoral process, you go back to a presidential election, not a gubernatorial one. Here's Elisa Kaplan. She's the executive director for Reform for Illinois. She weighed in on mail-in ballots. Is she related to Illinois political know-it-all and frequent Ben Jarofsky show guest J.K. Jacob Kaplan? Maybe. No. Oh, not? I don't think so. I think, uh-oh, you know what? I shouldn't say this, but I think uh, Jacob Kaplan's uh, an only child. But I could be wrong. So let me, re let me uh, rewind that tape. Now let's erase it. I didn't say it. So maybe. <laughs> could be. Here's the quote. Could be. Here's the quote from Elisa Kaplan. Quote, having to send back an application is another barrier for voters and still a lot of work for administrators because of all the applications that will have to be processed. We want to make voting by mail as easy as possible. The legislation also expands early voting hours at permanent polling places, improves the signature verification process, and here's a big one, makes election day a state holiday. All right. It's a state holiday? I missed that in the initial law. Oh, boy, what a show prepper Wait, you are. Wait, time out. Election. How did I miss that? Here's the quote. From I pride Brooke. myself on knowing every Frank. You let me down. I'm blaming Frank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Frank, I'm just kidding. What time we wake really up today, friend. Ben? Oh, I got up early today. What time? Nine forty-five. That's correct. 
I didn't know about the election. I didn't, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? I feel like I shouldn't admit it. I sh you know what? Well, Real you pros do it this way, D. Oh, yes, of course. They made it a national holiday. Like, they knew it. You know what I mean? The real That's how you do it. That's how the guys who went to radio school do it. Well, yes, of course. Everybody knows they made it a... Gee, did I tell you? They made it a national holiday. All right, I'm going to crank up your hubcaps here, and I'm going to read this quote. Tell us what you think. Quote, in the face of a pandemic, massive economic upheaval, and renewed calls for racial justice, it's more important than ever that Illinoisans can hold accountable a truly representative and transparent government, and that means ensuring all eligible residents can wield their right to vote in a way that doesn't risk their personal health. Oh, that was J.B. Pritzker. Mm -hmm. I'm still on, on the holiday thing. Uh, state holiday, state yes. Holiday. Okay. Which is interesting. Now, I'm going to put on my libertarian hat here and go, if you're sending out applications to absolutely everybody, why do you need to have the actual election day be a state holiday? Just saying. Uh, if you're trying to discourage people from voting on election day, encourage people to vote by mail, I don't know. But whatever. I, if it's going to help get more people to vote, uh, I'm for it, unless the people who you were getting the vote are Republican. Oh, I did not say that, did I? In which case, you should tell them, uh, Republicans, they changed the day of the election. It's now on a Wednesday. Yeah, it's the day after. And uh, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, is that the end of the quotes in the story? Because I'm going to weigh in on this thing. Uh, we had, we've discussed this on the show in the past. And it, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, okay, my opinion, so there's a great deal of speculation here. I'm not in the General Assembly. I'm not privy to the private conversations. But in my humble opinion, the Democrats, my beloved Democrats, once again, pulled the punch. And they didn't go uh, full out uh, to do absolutely everything they could to make it as absolutely as easy as possible to get people to vote by sending everyone an application. And my guess is that the reason they pulled the punch, the reason they didn't opt to have applications sent to absolutely everyone in the state, whether you voted or not, in 2018 or 2016, et cetera, and so forth, is because Michael Joseph Madigan, the maestro who runs things, was worried about some of his legislators who are in swing districts where there's a lot of Republican voters who are easily provoked by the rhetoric of Trump, the MAGA hat crowd, uh, when they say this is all about fraud, this is all about cheating, this is all about stealing the election. Totally made up. In fact, the only, the only example that I can think of at the moment, and I know Frank will correct me if there's others that I'm forgetting, of anybody trying to cheat blatantly cheat in the last couple of years through uh, vote by mail was dealt with Republicans in North Carolina. So the, the Republicans are accusing Democrats of something that they would do because everybody knows the Republicans are play the game to win. We all talk about that all the time. Democrats play the game to run around and lose weight. Republicans play the game to win. And so the, the notion that there's going to be widespread fraud benefiting the, uh, the Democrats is actually just... Uh, an effective uh, counterpunch by the Republicans to conceal the fact that they would be the ones doing the fraud. So I think, anyway, Madigan worried about uh, the um, his uh, his his caucus members and swing districts pull, had the Democrats pull their punch on this one. I do believe the Democrats pulled their punch. It's been going on in Illinois for a long time. Michael Madigan 
uh, always is concerned, number one, with protecting, well, protecting his position as Speaker of the House. And if he's going to remain as Speaker of the House, he has to have a majority uh, in this legislature. And to get that majority, he has to get as many Democrats elected as possible. So he's always trying to look out for the incumbency of those Democrats in the State House who support him. So I believe that's what was going on here. That's just me, D, to and, quote Norm Van Lee. And my God, does Mike Madigan hate Zoom? Isn't that right? <laughs> Zoom. Get that out of my face. Call me on the phone. He doesn't have a cell phone. Landline. I don't even know if he has a landline. Well, he doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have a landline. What the hell does he have? Where did I see our good friend Steve Brown? There was an article, Steve Brown, uh, Michael Madigan's press secretary for years. Somebody was trying to get a hold of Madigan for comment, and they couldn't even get Brown. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Steve Brown has a cell phone? Write a letter, put it in a bottle, push it in the river. Come on. I'll get it in a few days. It'll come to me later. Steve, come on, answer their phone call. I'm sure it wasn't that tough. You can duck and dodge with the best of them, Steve. And don't hold your punches. Oh, okay. Punch them. Go for it. All right, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Today, Mayor Lakefront presided over the 10 a.m. City Council meeting. No details from that meeting yet. Ben was only awake for 15 minutes when that thing went on. I know, right? By the way, young Dave Gloatz, as we speak, is breaking down that meeting. We're going to have a Dave Gloatz report coming up real soon. So uh, when we get those details, we'll find out. But uh, we did know a few things here. Uh, First off, no update on whether or not uh, Alderman Ray Lopez made it out alive. Let's not forget what happened the last time these people chatted. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. If you think... No offense, fuck you then. Oh, my Lord. I'm full of shit. Oh, Holy cow. Oh, my God. <laughs> we broke that down, D. We analyzed that. And I have this to say one more time. Lori Lightfoot, I think you were unfair when you said 100%, okay? Eh, more like 35 to 40%, okay? But not 100%. Come on, Lori Lightfoot. Uh, yes. But we did know beforehand <laughs> that Mayor Lori Lightfoot's plan for a $1.1 billion in the Federal CARES Act spending to help Chicago deal with the cost and needs due to the coronavirus pandemic will be taken up today by Alderman in today's city council meeting. Yes, that's billion with a B. And surely an issue discussed at today's city council meeting, the police. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran the Woman Spielman. With the police reform movement gaining steam, aldermen are pushing competing proposals to defund and refund the Chicago Police Department. And to be clear, by refund, we mean re-fund, not refund, like we're giving cops their money back. Re-fund. On uh, So we got two sides here, defund and refund. On the defund side are 11 aldermen, including all six members of the Socialist Caucus. They sent a letter to Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Tuesday demanding a commitment in writing or via an amendment that not a penny of the $333 million in discretionary federal stimulus money earmarked for, quote, ongoing direct COVID-19 response costs be spent on policing. And in news that... Shocks no one listening at all. 35th Ward Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa <laughs> is one of those six aldermen. That's correct. <laughs> now he's noted here as the dean of the city council socialist caucus. Yeah, Did you know can that? I comment on that for a moment? Yeah. I saw that in uh, Fran Spielman's article on the bright one. Uh, I read the actual newspaper, Dean. Uh, 
Uh, by the way, I have this habit of sending pictures. I take pictures of newspaper Where's articles. Where's this going? Uh, <laughs> I said, so if I, like Tommy Shuba, for instance, the okay. great Tommy Shuba, uh, who is an outstanding reporter, journalist for the Sun-Times. If I see an article that, that he wrote, it's in the bright one, uh, I'll take a picture of it and, he, and text it to him. Because it just is more real. It's, I, I don't know. It's, re- it's in the newspaper, man. It's in the newspaper. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, I read this article, they called him the Dean. I had a laugh when I said that. He's the Dean. First of all, he's a baby in my mind. He's 30 years old if he's that, Carlos, okay? He's young compared to me anyway. He loves the chain smokers, okay? Yeah, not I, a, say, I got the quotes here. Uh, not a huge fan of Stevie Wonder. And, uh, but to the point, the Dean of, I, you know, I don't know if that's technically, I know the Dean is like, he's supposed to be like the, uh, what would that imply that, He's been there the longest. Yes, so he is starting his second term, uh, but this is the caucus is just around now, so it's really the first term of the caucus. So I don't know. I don't know if Carlos would like being called the dean anyway. Dean Carlos. <laughs> well, sorry, Carlos, if you're listening and you heard that and you're raging out right now, please calm down. Calm down. Listen to the chain please, smokers. Please do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. I didn't know where you were going with that, Ben. You're like, ah, well, I've had this habit lately of sending pictures. Like, okay, let me get my resume here. Send it. Where are you sending pictures? No, no those kind of pictures. Come on. Thank God. Keep All right. Clean. Carlos Ramirez Rosa called the promise, quote, a reasonable ask and a, quote, Quote, very low bar for the mayor to clear in the furor that followed the death of George Floyd at the hands of now former Minneapolis police officers. He noted CPD already receives $1.8 billion a year. Yes, that's billion with a B. Which is 40% of the city's corporate fund. All right, we have a quote from Alderman Ramirez Rosa. Cue the chain smokers music. <laughs> Let's read it. Actually, don't play that. We'll get copyright. Yeah, yeah no, get a letter from the chain smokers lawyer. <laughs> quote, if this is Carlos Ramirez Rosa been. Okay. Yeah. Quote, if police are being sent to the lakefront to enforce the stay-at-home order or the closure of trails, those are things paid for by the corporate fund. The notion that we would reimburse the corporate fund when we can instead be using this discretionary COVID-19 relief money on things like rent relief is really onerous to myself and to tens of thousands of Chicagoans who, in the last several days, have been coming out and saying, divest from policing and invest in the relief and services that we need in this moment. The mayor, in response, said, why I ought to <laughs> actually see, she said nothing. Ben, your thoughts. Uh, first of all, I just when you read that, I noticed this is uh, relevant to absolutely nothing. The difference between something that's in the regular newspaper, and something that's online, that that full quote was not in the regular newspaper. They just cut it off it to tens of thousands of Chicagoans. Uh, and uh, but uh, I actually agree with Carlos on this one. I think that. Um, Again, this gets into the issue of how the city appropriates the money uh, it has uh, at its disposal. And this, of course, has been my crusade for years and years that it has not been fairly distributing the money to uh, area, poor areas, working class areas, black areas in particular. Uh, and in fact, they've been concentrating most of the money when, they can, uh, when it comes to economic development uh, on gentrifying areas on the north side of the, of the loop. Or the near. This is an old story in the city of Chicago. This is a story that up until now, the aldermen have not shown any inclination uh, to want to address. They just want to look the other way and pretend it's not going on. So here we are in sort of a, a, a small way, a small way, I say, because um, 
they're just talking about uh, the uh, the money that's coming in for the 333 million that's coming in uh, from the feds to deal with COVID-19. So it's not like, for instance, the TIF program, which is, I don't know, I think it was 800 million a year last year. I can't remember off the top of my head. Can't believe I can't remember. Uh, but uh, so it, which it's a, a regular yearly amount of money that comes in and gets distributed. So uh, in this case, it's a smaller amount of money, but I agree with them. I think that, um, the uh, the impact of the uh, the pandemic on pe- on poor people and working class people and their inability to pay their rent it's been huge. Oh my God, I I hear about it all the time uh, from my wife and many of her friends who are trying to figure out how to pay their commercial rent. So I hear about it from renters who can't pay their landlord or business people who can't pay. Uh, their landlords and commercial rents. And then I hear it from the landlords complaining that they want their rent. So this is a very important issue. And I think it's more important, absolutely more important than sending a police officer to the lakefront to, uh, what, arrest somebody for standing? We'll get into this later. I mean, don't get me started on the mayor and the lakefront. But just, look, can I put this at the top of the list? of Like things that cops should not be doing. Enforcing our absurd lakefront law about not sitting in the grass at this moment, right? We're not allowed to sit in the grass on the lakefront. We're only supposed to just run or bike or jog or rollerblade along the path, right? Can't sit. Uh Uh-oh, he's sitting. What if I'm tired? Get up. So what of all the things that you should not have police officers time diverted to that that would be one of the things that police officers when we think reimagine what policing is all about i just feel that's overdoing things you know what i mean to send a cop in some guy sitting in the grass smoking a joint and uh you know that's it you can't sit there even the smoking the joint I think, is that illegal to do in the lake, right? So, I'll find out this week, and I'll test that out. Yeah, you'll I'll test that out. I'll let out. you know. I'll let so you know how it goes. I'm with Carlos on this one. I just don't think the money should go to, to something like uh, having cops go to the lakefront to, to ticket people who are not running or walking or moving or whatever slogan they have. Just move along. No wimps allowed on the lakefront, all right? Just keep running. Only the finest of athletes yeah, can be on this Top team. athletes got to run, run, run. <laughs> you're walking too slow. Technically, that's not walking, sir. You call that walking? Like if you're walking too slow. Only American gladiators can be on this trail. I'm with you, Carlos. I'm with you 100% on this one. There should be assistance uh, to folks who can't pay their rent. Absolutely. There should be assistance to folks who can't pay their rent. And I, I, no, But, you know, folks who can't pay their rent, Carlos, I'm just going to break it down to you. You know what I'm saying is true. Those are the kind of people that this city has been moving out of Chicago. They don't want people like that. Move out, go, beat it, we don't care. So you talk about Trump's balancing act. Trump's balancing act is try to pretend, I already said this, that he cares about uh, cops killing uh, just ordinary black citizens who are unarmed. Uh, He has to pretend he cares, even though he clearly doesn't care. Uh, At the same time, letting all of his uh, MAGA hat wearers know that he really doesn't care. So how about that for a balancing act? He has to pretend he cares while demonstrating that he doesn't really care. Uh, In the case of the people who run the city of Chicago, they have to pretend like they care about poor renters when they don't really care about poor renters did you and hey better late than never huh and i tested very positively in a in another sense so this morning yeah i tested positively toward negative right so no i tested uh 
perfectly this morning. Meaning, meaning I tested negative. Got that, D? All right. <laughs> it's crystal clear when you smoke a lot of marijuana. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm with you, Carlos, on this one. I'm uh, absolutely with you on this one. So we've heard from the defund police side. Now let's hear from the refund side. The uh, refund the police movement is being led by a pair of aldermen whose far southwest and northwest side wards are home to scores of Chicago police officers. Alderman Matt O'Shea, been of what ward? 19th. What a dork. That's correct. <laughs> Alderman Matt O'Shea plans to introduce an ordinance requiring that the CPD budget uh, be, quote, no less than it was in 2020. It could be reduced below that threshold, but, quote, only if authorized by a binding referendum approved, wow. by, Chica- approved by Chicago voters. Here's the quote from O'Shea. Cue the Celtic river dance music? <laughs> O'Shea? <laughs> Quote, okay. every town hall meeting I host, every time I'm at a senior citizen event, I hear, I don't see the police on my block. I want more police. I don't feel that the city council should dictate or be allowed to determine whether communities have a police presence or not. This should be decided by the voters, the people we represent. Less police officers means the potential for a spike in crime, which could then spread, particularly in communities where we already see high crime. We would see crime spiral out of control. Okay. Are we done with that? Yes. (laughs) All right. Uh, There's a lot of truth to what he says. There's a lot of political truth to what he says. I've had this conversation uh, with Rosanna Rodriguez and Carlos Ramirez Rosa uh, and other aldermen who are of the defund um, the police uh, position, have that defund police position. And that is this. There is strong sentiment. I've been in Chicago for a long, long time, and there is strong sentiment throughout the city that people want more police. And I'll point out once again that it was only in 2015 that Jesus Chuy Garcia, when he was running as the progressive against Rahm, felt compelled to start his campaign by saying he was going to hire a 1,000 more cops. And that was his attempt to defuse any uh, effort by Rahm to paint him as some kind of radical, uh, doesn't care if crime goes up, soft on crime, politician so there is a a, a strong feeling at least when you go to meetings when you go to regular meetings the aldermen's go to like black club meetings where's the police uh senior citizens uh meetings at senior citizen centers i've been there i've heard the the rhetoric i've heard what people say we want more police so he's absolutely uh, correct then when you get to the but the, the second point about the issue of whether crime would spike if we reduced the police presence or we had police do other things or we treated uh, calls to 911 differently than we do now. If we had, let's say, like a a social worker go to the house of of a person for domestic abuse, something like that, just a different attitude instead of treating absolutely every call the same way. I don't know that crime would go higher. And I, you know what? Matt O'Shea doesn't know if crime would go higher. That's the rhetoric. That's the rhetoric. That's the Donald Trump rhetoric. You scare people. That's the backlash that's coming. Whenever anybody tries to suggest that we rethink how we use police, we have a come up with a new strategy. 
Maybe we don't use police for absolutely everything, every problem. Maybe we don't have police in the school so that, you know, you're trying to calm people down as opposed to incite people to fighting, you know, or just have a whole different approach. When we, as soon as we head in that direction, boom, the counterpunch. There's going to be lawlessness in the street. There's going to be crime in the street. Do you are you ex, are you defending murderers? Are you defending rapists? It goes on. And I remember when Harold Washington, in 1983, the Democrat won the Democratic primary. In those days, we had party primaries to determine who would be our mayor. He defeated Richie Daly and Jane Byrne in that primary. He's running one on one against a Republican named Bernie Epton that Chicagoans, by and large, had never heard of. And all of a sudden, the rhetoric just poured out. All you got us. Abu talked to Monroe Anderson about this. this is, I need someone old enough like me to remember this about how somehow or other it's going to be dangerous and unsafe for our grandmothers to walk down the streets of Chicago. This is the kind of rhetoric that pours out when anybody, even in Harold's case, just electing a black man as mayor of the city of Chicago. So that's kind of where we are in a city. It's like this counterpunch. Immediately, any attempt to reconsider how police police black areas is immediately met with the assertion that you're soft on crime. In fact, this is what this is at the heart of the movement against legalizing reefer. You're soft on crime. It was like everybody was smoking it, but only black people were by and large getting arrested for it. But if you said anything about it, you're soft on crime. So I. I think Matt O'Shea is absolutely correct that a lot of people in the city of Chicago want police officers in their neighborhoods, and there would be uh, an outcry if you moved police officers out of their neighborhoods. But that does not mean we just have to keep doubling down on the way we do policing in this city, which hasn't worked. There's a certain madness to all that. So it's like... D, I feel like I've heard all these debates and discussions before, and um, I got a feeling that Lori Lightfoot's probably going to side with the Mattershay uh, crowd on this one. How sure of that are you? Give Pretty us a sure. percentage. I would say 75%. 75%. If, if you recall, during the uh, camp, it was a big deal when uh, Matt O'Shea came out strong for Lori Lightfoot in the 19th Ward. Remember, I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about that. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. So uh, my guess is that Lori Lightfoot, she's already moved away from the whole notion of defund the police. And we've had so many people come on the show and talk about the messaging of Troy LaRavier, Adolfo Mondragon. Uh, just yesterday, Joshua Smicer de Leon. We've had so many people coming on. Monroe Anderson, David Seaton. I don't know anybody who's who's signed on to defund the police, but uh, we, we, we're going to hear from Rosanna Rodriguez, uh, Alderman Rosanna Rodriguez, so she'll probably be calling for that. We're going to have her on tomorrow. So uh, yeah, it's a uh, this is a debate that's going to be happening over the next few months, and my guess is that Lori Lightfoot not, would probably closer to Matt O'Shea than the Carlos Ramirez Rosa. All right, so that's the latest in Illinois and Chicago this afternoon. Before we go to break and talk with Monroe Anderson, there's just one more story that Ben Jarofsky would like to, to discuss with all of you. No, he did it, and all you are is bothered by his bronchitis. Hey, hey, hey! Shit's getting crazy, guys. 
Now, when Ben first showed me this video, I could have swore it was the pro wrestler Goldberg, but no, it was not. Looked a lot like him, but no, it was a retired Cook County judge by the name of Robert Bertucci. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rich the Dude Dudek. <laughs> no, it's Mitch. Oh, it's M- Mitch the Dude Dudek. <laughs> You like that, the dude? Yeah, I, I do like the nickname, yes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. A retired Cook County judge took a swing at a protester Saturday during a confrontation steps from a statue of Christopher Columbus in Little Italy that hours earlier had been defaced with paint. Robert Bertucci, the hammer, who oversaw both criminal and civil cases during his career, is seen in a video talking with a young male protester uh, when the encounter became heated. I have audio from the video. Let's play the audio. Ben, you weigh in afterwards. When I was in in seventh grade, I was getting hate notes every day for two weeks. And I didn't know. No, I grew up in North Prospect, fully white community. I was getting hate notes every day for two weeks. I didn't tell anybody because all my friends were white. Two weeks later, I get written on my locker. In front of the whole school. I go to the principal, who's white, doesn't do anything about it. That sucks. Sorry. Yeah, so did, that, did anything like that happen to you when you were younger, when you were growing up, when you were an adult, when you were five years old? Did anything like that ever happen to you? No, no it didn't. And all you are is bothered by it brought to see you. Hey, hey! And that was when he took the swing. Well, no, he took the swing. Yeah, okay. Uh, wow, I saw that, and um, I just realized uh, there's so much madness out there. I, I, I know uh, I didn't just have to see that, but it was just another reminder of how much uh, madness is there out there. This is something else I saw in a paper. Uh, they're talking about uh, Judge Robert Pertucci. He's no longer uh, a judge, but he's a practicing attorney, according to his bio uh, on his uh, law firm's website. Uh, he was a Cook County judge for 25 years before retiring in 2018, according to the site, and which also lists Pertucci as, and I'm quoting exactly, a professional dispute mediator. And so he's a professional dispute mediator, and he's his way of uh, what uh, mediating this dispute is to throw a punch. Now, I... You got to see this, folks, to really uh, appreciate what happened. There's an angry dispute going outside the Columbus statue. Now, I'm not Italian. I'm not Italian-American. So I really have a hard time understanding the passion with which Italian-Americans or some Italian-Americans uh, just are determined to maintain Columbus as sort of this heroic figure that must be honored at all times. It's to say that Columbus's legacy in this country is uh, controversial is putting it mildly. But it's, it's become like this fault line. You can't cross it without really upsetting and angering people. There's so many other great Italian-Americans that you could honor with statues. Along, but no, it's got to be Columbus because if you retreat here, it's like you did... I don't know what, you're maligning all Italian-Americans. So I have a really hard time understanding. Again, I'm not Italian-American, so maybe that's why. I, I don't have appreciation for that. But I just have a hard time understanding the passion that uh, this issue incites. 
Then you have this demonstrator who's in Pertucci's face, and you heard him yelling at Pertucci. And he's, he's really upset, and he starts talking about something that happened to him when he was a kid uh, in Mount Prospect. Uh, and Bertucci's response to, is to say, that sucks. You heard him say that. And that it got the kid even madder because, I don't know, it's, it, to, obviously to the young man, it was far more significant than that sucks. And so he's just enraged, and he's yelling, and that's where Bertucci lo- loses it. And I'll tell you this about Bertucci. This guy must have had some boxing training. That is a mean punch. That guy knows how to throw a punch. If he had connected with that kid, he would have seriously hurt that protester. He's a stocky, strong man, Pertucci, and he knows how to throw a punch, and he threw a hard punch at this guy. He totally lost it. He said the kid spit on him. Well, if the kid spit on him, it was an inadvertent spitting because the kid's enraged and spits flying. And again, one more time, we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, and the kid has... Uh, he has a face mask, but the face mask is down. Why the face mask is not up, I don't know. Bertucci doesn't have a face mask at all. So I guess things are inflamed by the fact uh, that we're in the middle of a pandemic. But I just think it's really inappropriate for a man who is a professional dispute mediator to mediate this dispute by throwing a punch. And there's a certain madness in the air right now, Dean. I saw that. I go, can't he? Couldn't he have just step back? Like, are our male egos on the line all the time? Where you can't just step back and say, "I'm really sorry that happened, sir. I'm going to really think about it. So I'm going to walk away from this." Okay, just step back. I don't know why. Like nobody can. It's like, oh no, I'm not. I'm not retreating. I'm not going to retreat on my on this argument we're having here i'm not going to retreat in any way on my views on christopher columbus and his like connection to what genocide of native americans i'm not going to rethink any of this stuff i refuse to because that's like what showing weakness is that it is that what's going on here and then he just loses it and throws a punch a professional dispute mediator through that punch and by the way there were police i didn't know this until afterwards there were police officers watching this and they came in and uh they broke it up they didn't arrest bertucci and you know what i can buy that no need it gets back to the old when should force be used when should the police arrest? bertucci threw a punch that's i don't know you could argue that's assault he didn't connect so attempted assault i don't know but they could have arrested her. They could have a motivation, but they didn't. And I, re- I appreciate that restraint. I'd like to see that same restraint practiced with black people. That's all. If you can walk away from arresting Judge Bertucci, who threw a punch, and it was a mean punch, I'll give him credit for that, then why not have that restraint down in Atlanta when you're dealing with a black man who fell asleep behind the wheel of his car because he was drunk? Why did you have to ratchet up that one? Why can't you treat him the way you treated Bertucci and just walk away? These are just some of the questions I'm thinking about when I watch this dispute. Uh, and uh, I, so I appreciate the cops showing restraint when it came to Bertucci. I'd like to see them do that across the board. 
All right, there you are, everybody. That's the news. Uh, feel free to weigh in on the live stream chat if you are listening live. And also, don't forget, you can find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Find us there. Once again, at Benny J Show. You can also email us. Yeah, you can send us an email, Show at gmail.com. And people, we have a phone number. Call the Benny J Hotline, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the hotline that's so 90s call the Benny j hotline right now all right 708-658-4788 leave us a voicemail it can be a character it could be whatever you want will we play it man i don't know maybe maybe not you never know Unless you call 708-658-4788, the Benny J hotline. Call us up, 708-658-4788. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. And after we hear from our good friend Michael Girardi, it's the return of legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson. Don't go anywhere, people. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, and we're live from Ben's house.
correct. Correct. That's billion with a B. All right, everybody, we're back here. Calling up Monroe Anderson. My favorite part of the show. Yours too. Love this part of the show where we call the guests. Am I cool and calm? Yes. Nice. Am I nervous? No. Do I have total confidence your ability Dr. to... There we go! Yeah! Well, it worked! Now the doctor, how's it going? <laughs> Monroe! All right. It's always that moment of concern, Monroe, when Dennis makes the call to a guest at the 2 o'clock interview. I always get a little nervous, you know what I'm saying? Oh, it's like the old days when the guest would show up early in the studio. I'd w- see you walk in, Monroe. Sometimes you came early wearing your hat. You always got those great hats. And I'd be like, Monroe's here! Remember those good days, Monroe? Yeah, I, I remember them well. Yeah. Now it's like. Yeah, those are gone. <laughs> you admit it, Monroe. You kind of well, like. Well, they'll be back next. Wait till next year, Ben. <laughs> wait, let me. All right. Now, let's. This is this bit of honesty, as uh, Dennis likes to say. Do you prefer uh, just hanging out at home and not having to schlep down to the Sun Times? Do you do, or do you like the intimacy of being in the studio? Which one do you prefer? Depends on my which side of the bed I got on that morning. The the lazy sometimes side. Sometimes I, I I look. Sometimes I look forward to going into the studio. Sometimes I think about the traffic and um, what else I need to do. And I and I and I could. Uh, it's, it's about a. Half, by the time I I park and walk <laughs> over. It's at least a half an hour trip. Oh my God! No, I just bring and back. And then coming back, yeah. then coming back. Uh, if I take Elspeth, <laughs> it's a half an hour getting back because of the rush hour. So the traffic is thick. Yeah, 
Well, you know, good old Elston. Good old Elston. I remember that from the old days, the old show right, before exactly. I got fired. I used to tell Monroe, right. "Take Elston Avenue." <laughs> it was a, a bit that we did for a, a long time. No, I think it's at at the risk of sounding condescending. I think it's good for you to get you out of the house, get you to get a little exercise, get some fresh air. So uh, I think it's good for you. All right. Let's get down to business. Yeah, no, it's not bad. It's not bad. A lot of things I've got uh, on our list to talk about. We'll see uh, uh, how much of them we get to. Uh, Your new phrase, November is coming. Uh, Your attitudes, your opinions are gone with the wind. And Aunt Jemima, uh, The Five Bloods, new Spike Lee movie, uh, Trump's balancing act, uh, the shooting in Atlanta, uh, Rayshard Brooks. Uh, But before we do that, I just got to let the cat out of the bag. I just learned you have a nickname. I didn't know you had a nickname. Yeah. Are you willing to share your nickname with everybody, Monroe? Uh, sure, it's not a problem. <laughs> his friends from uh, college, from his college days, call him Money. I love that nickname, man. That's what Spike Lee calls Michael Jordan. I don't know if you know that, Money. So it's kind of like you're yeah. in good, good company. Yeah, except um, I was in college in the 60s. Michael might not even been born when I was in college. <laughs> uh, he was born. He was, he was born in 63. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so 63? Yeah, he, Michael Jeffrey Jordan was born in 1963. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So he was two years old yeah. when I went to college. God, let's just imagine young Monroe Anderson enrolling in Bloomington. Oh, young money. Young money. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Wait, no, you were not money until you got to college, correct? Right. That's what right. your, your friends at college called you. You were back in Gary. They short didn't... for Monroe. Short for Monroe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just talk about that for a moment, Monroe. 1965, Monroe Anderson, who was born and raised in Gary, Indiana, in a predominantly black neighborhood, went to a school. Uh, that... Predominantly. I didn't know a white person socially until I went to college. You're kidding. Not no. one? I had two white teachers. In my entire public school, one was third grade, one was tenth grade. Wow. Wait, one time, Milo and you were talking about you do the same. Didn't you guys date the same girl? They were black. Oh, they were black. (laughs) 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 Okay. And and they right. And they went to his high school, not mine. My my high school was. uh, We had one white kid in my in my high school. Did you, were you fr- he was he, he was he was blacker than you are. <laughs> I mean, he he dressed like us. He talked like us. You know? What what, <laughs> what is he doing today? Do you know? You lost track with him? No, I have no idea. Did, uh, yeah, no, I have I have no idea. So did you think of him? Like as, did you think of him as white or black? Oh no, we thought he was. We we knew he was white, and. And he was he was nice and he was cool, so he was just accepted. You know, I can't remember his name or anything. Yeah. All right. So you go to Bloomington. Uh, but it, yeah. Talk about right. that transition. I go to Bloomington, and thirty um, some thousand students, six six hundred of us are black. So um, it was it was a a transition, shall we say. Because when I first went there, because I'd been in a segregated situation, mm-hmm. when I first get there, I feel that the whole weight of the race is on my shoulders mm-hmm. because I've got to um, um, 
act properly, or, or they will think that all black people are this or that. Um, and trying to fit in in Indiana, which was um, not racially enlightened, most of the students there at the time. In fact, I had a guy, I, I had people, the first year I stayed in an all-men's dorm, mm-hmm. and so we didn't have individual showers. It was like military or something, you know, just open showers and open toilets. And have salt and just, just went. And I had a couple of farm boys checking to see if I had a tail because that's what they had been told growing up. I mean, Monroe, I'm uh, speechless. Yes. So how did they do that? Did they just say? I mean, they, no, they'd be peeking. You see them looking toward a second, you know, at the time. And did you ask them, what are you guys doing? No, 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 no. I, kn- I knew what they were doing. I, you know, because, I mean, I, 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 I knew other white students. And, you know, we were all on the same dorm floor. Um. I knew I was, so they would, they would laugh and say, "Yeah, those farm boys." So, was there any uh, any arena or any common denominator that linked uh, the the six hundred uh, black students at Bloomington in nineteen sixty five sixty six with the white kids, like music? Let's say, was there any music that the uh, both groups shared in common, or was everything racially no. divided? Nothing. No, everything was basically racially divided. We uh, we had we had the um, campus. We had all three black fraternities on campus, mm-hmm. but the campus this was their I forget the term, but this is where they were founded at Indiana University in Bloomington, and they have this brand new spanking frat house which was really nice, and they gave great parties. And then the and then the cues, which um, which was basically. Considered the thugs. The Kappas were the party boys. The Qs were the thugs, and then the Alphas were the intellectual nerds. From the time they were the square, and so the the Kappas and the Qs gave the best parties. Uh, the Qs in, in Spike Lee's um, school days, mm-hmm. when they did the line, that's what the Qs would. Well, all, both of them would do it. Mm-hmm. The fraternity. But the cues get spectacularly high. In fact, um, I think that the mountain people in Black Panther were based off of the cues, influenced by the cues. You know, they did the wolf and woof, woof, woof. Right. Yeah, I think that was a cue thing that was going on there. And and did they... And the cues were so... They branded themselves. They'd have a, 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 a Q brand where they'd have a, a keloid where the skin raised because of the, the heat. That's how dedicated they were. Yeah. Uh, so, Monroe, did they, uh, did you have a, did they do colorblind roommates or did they make sure that you had a, a black roommate? I made sure that I had a black roommate. <laughs> <laughs> my, first, my first black, my first roommate was, uh, a guy from high school, from my high school. When we found out we were going, we became roommates. And then after that, uh, Chaz, Charles Ellison, uh, became my roommate. And I, I, 
think I, 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 as I was telling you earlier when we talked, he had to drop out after the first semester in our sophomore year because he got his girlfriend pregnant, and his parents said, "Well, you got to, you got to get a job, and you got to, you got a family you're going to have to support." So he dropped out and got drafted, wow. went to Vietnam. Yeah, and I got the one white roommate I had in college the next semester because I was, Chaz was gone. And Chaz and I had all this stuff up in in the room. We had black power. We had all this black power time. <laughs> yeah. And plus, we formed this, this we, when we became friends, we would talk a lot of jive. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about what night we were just pulling an overnighter. This is before we, this was our freshman year, before we became roommates. We were pulling an overnighter, and we were both bragging uh, about what great lovers we were each other uh, and, 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 and how great we were for women. Yeah. And so before the night was over, we decided we were perhaps the two greatest lovers in the whole wide world. So we founded this organization called the Agents of Ecstasy Okay. All right. And so we had, we had pictures of naked women on our walls with, and we had, uh, we had a, a board with like a, a condom hanging from it saying one of the weapons of the agent. <laughs> anyway, so I get this really square white roommate who moved into this room. <laughs> and I, it must have been dark. Wait, did, didn't he, did he say, hey, Monroe? Uh, but by the way, did he call you money as well? No. Yeah. He, he called you yeah. money, the white kid? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Did he want yeah. to be a his name is His name is Richard Snar. He went on to be a career soldier. Trumper. Are you? No, he's, well, he's right wing. I don't know if he's Trump or not. Yeah. I, I've got to talk to him. His uh, brother is my my Facebook friend. Uh, in in uh, did he want to be a member of the Agents of Ecstasy? No, he was. This is how Square Dick was. He was a virgin and proud of it because he wanted to be president of the United States one day. And he didn't want people to say when he was in college what a philanderer he was. Boy, did he! So he was a virgin. Did he, <laughs> miss, did he <laughs> miss? Did he underestimate the American people, the Republicans? Right, I know. Elected Donnie Trump. Uh, by the I way, know, exactly. I don't know if you know this, but the president yeah. of the Alton chapter of Agents of Ecstasy was Dr. D. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> Trying to keep that <laughs> quiet under wraps, but yep. <laughs> Guilty. He's agent of ecstasy down in Alton, Illinois, the doctor. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, right. And we were so outrageous, you know, because we were we, we we developed this whole thing. We had we had a membership card. We had our our code name. I, I was agent double O one, and Chaz was agent double O two. But we argued over who was number one <laughs> oh all the time. You know what? <laughs> Next, yeah. next to me, collecting baseball cards, that's the geekiest yeah. thing I've ever heard, all right? Next to me, <laughs> writing down in my little diary all the songs that were in the top ten. I used to do that all. Yeah. That was roughly what I was doing while you were uh, creating the Agents of Ecstasy group. Right. I'm not quite, which one is nerdier, me doing that or you going um, double O? No, actually, the Agents worked out because it, um, soon... There were there were rumors on the campus that there was these uh, this group of uh, 
male prostitutes that women could, could use. <laughs> no, it worked out. No, it, 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 I, there was a there was a situation mm-hmm. that happened where because it, you know you need in the cafeteria, and, and we would we would we would just talk. We we were basically being like Muhammad Ali, but instead of bragging about being the greatest fighters, we talked about being the greatest lovers. All right. Um, and so these, these group of women um, pulled straws because they just they thought it was um, all BS. It's so already pulled straws, and one lucky woman got to be with me. All right, I'm uh, maybe revealed a little too much in that anecdote that I wanted right, to I hear. Know. That's correct. Uh, let's, yeah, I know. Let's I know. Move. Too much information. Too much information. Except one last thing. Yes. One last thing, okay? She went back and reported to them. It was all true. All right, okay. All right. Monroe, Monroe Anderson's fantasy life. Okay, let's move on from that. Uh, and uh, let's move on to the issues of the day. I, I shouldn't have taken the deep dive with you on your college memories. Uh, yeah, uh, let's let's, let's uh, start with Trump's balancing act. That's what uh, Lynn Sweet called it in the Sun-Times. I've already riffed on it a great deal. Yesterday, uh, he signed an executive order, then held a, a press conference uh, in the Rose Garden. We were surrounded by uh, various uh, law enforcement types. Uh, did yeah, all, yeah, one token black man. That's, that, his, that's his favorite number. Yeah, among blacks, one. Uh, one. Uh, and uh, so Monroe did it. When you saw that, and you read about it, and you thought about it, did it convince you? You know, Donald Trump is really doing a lot for black people in this country. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, four or two. Which which I, I didn't catch. Which one did you say? Uh, Donald yeah. Trump is doing a lot. Two black people, yeah. a lot four black people. So what do you what do you think that yeah, was all he's about? Not, he's not, yeah, no. What it what it was all about is the pressure. This movement, this Black Lives Matter movement, has become so overpowering and pervasive and widespread that there's no escaping it. You know, only in the uh, Clan trays or something like that. Can you not pay attention to it? And so he had to do something. You know, I mean, today you had the the Republicans. He's trying to get out ahead head of the Republicans a little bit. Those who were the Senate, he's going to come up with their own police um, policy. Police let's rein in the cop policy. Mm-hmm. So he wants to get ahead of them a little bit, although Trump is not a leader. So what he does is, you know, so what he did yesterday was he talked about uh, how um, no more chokeholds, quote, unless your life is at threat. Okay, well, every cop that ever ever does anything wrong or does a bad bust and somebody ends up hurt or dead, that's his. That's that. That's his go-to defense. Is that I felt my life was threatened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, the, uh, the the policeman in Atlanta, who they're about to any minute now, and announce what charges, whether it's going to be murder or manslaughter, with him. That's his defense. He shot. He shot. shot he shot uh, a man in the back running away from him. Yeah. 
but his defense is going to be that he, he uh, the guy shot a taser at him. Mm-hmm. Now, the police have used that taser is a, a deadly weapon as a defense every time they tase somebody unjustly. And, and a few people have died from heart attacks or something, bad heart get it, get it. So the police are going to use, they, they suspect that the police defense for him is that when Rayshawn um, Brooks, I think is his name, mm-hmm. when Rayshawn um, shot at the cop, that because if, if you're an amateur, you know, Police are taught how to use tasers, so that's what makes them um, not a deadly weapon. But if you don't know how to use one, then it can be a deadly weapon. That's going to be their defense, if you can believe that. But that's all they have. They don't have much of a defense. Well, all right, now we're going to talk about this specific incident. And okay. uh, there's other things I want to talk about, but since you mentioned it, I might as well go here. You know, I was... Uh, when I read about it and uh, think about it, talk to other people about it, it just, it seems like everything had gone wrong leading up to the uh, the taser. Like the taser was sort of the, uh, if you will, the icing on the cake of what had gone wrong. And I keep, well, I keep thinking about how there was no reason to have a confrontation. The man, what he did wrong was... I guess he, drunk driving, right? That, that I would say right. that's the, DUI. Yeah, right. DUI. Exactly. So why this turned into this confrontation? Well, okay, okay. Yeah, let's go through this now. Had had he been a twenty-seven-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed driver mm-hmm. who had passed out in his car from drinking too much, falling asleep. More than likely, what the officer would have done would have knocked on his window, asked him if he was okay, and then asked him um, if he'd move his car out out of the he was blocking the driveway yeah. to the window. If he'd move his car because he was blocking it, and if you can't move it out, we'll move it for you. And then it would be, uh, do you want to sleep it off here or? Uh, would you like us to call an Uber for you? Or um, we, if, if you aren't far from here, we can drop you off. But no, black man, we're always dangerous. We're always criminals. So if they had a 40-minute conversation yeah. about uh, whether he was, he was drunk, etc., he gave him. He gave him the test uh, to see if he was he was he was drunk or not. He, he had him he doing the eyes up and the eyes down and across, and he 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 passed all that. But then he gave him the breathalyzer, and he was a few points above that, and so he started cuffing. And you know, and in their conversation that they had, he had already told him that it was his daughter's birthday. And so they start, they're going to arrest him. And he gets, he gets indignant, and also he, he gets uh, frantic because he doesn't want to be in jail 
when his daughter's looking forward to him helping celebrate her birthday, her eighth birthday. So then they tussle, and they tussle, and he he basically um, beats, um, outdoes the two of them and grabs grabs the guy's taser, and he's running away from the police. And he's not running very fast because he's been in this tussling contest with these guys. So he's a halfway out of breath before he starts to run. So they're chasing him. So he turns halfway and shoots the taser. It's not within distance where it could hit the officer. It doesn't hit the officer. But he does it as a, a gesture to, like, you know, get back. Um, you can't catch up with it. It's keep you at a distance. And so what's the solution to that? Had he been white and had he pissed off the cops, they had his driver's license, they had his car. Mm. So it wouldn't be very difficult to figure out where he lived and arrest him later. So they could have just, uh, they could have called other police yeah. and a block or two later they would have caught up with them. But no, he shoots them. Twice. Shoots at him three times, hits him twice in the back, and kills him. And that's justice in America for black men. Yeah, I, um, Monroe, I, uh, I, I have to admit, I agree with pretty much everything you said in your analysis there, starting with the initial confrontation. And, I, and see, okay. I've always, I'm going to make a confession here. I, I would not make it, obviously, as a police officer on many levels, on many fronts. But the first one is right. I tend to shy away. I never liked fights. I've never liked fighting. I've never been good at it. Right. I've never wanted to yeah. throw a punch or be punched. So I will right. always walk, try to walk away from a fight. And yeah. I just talking about this in terms of this judge, Bertucci, who threw a punch uh, at a protester, at a they had a uh, argument that turned into a, f a fist flying over the Columbus statue uh, in Little Italy. So I would, if I were that judge, I would have walked away. And I just seem, I just to me, it seems like the way to deal with a drunk driver uh, who's falling asleep behind the wheel in a in a car in a Wendy's is to say, "Sir, we got to get you home." Not right. to arrest him. Not to even think about arresting right. him. I don't know why you want to arrest the dude. It's not like he's driving. He's just get him out of the car, park the car, come back and get the car tomorrow when you're sober. I just. Right. Uh, that's, 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 had he been white, that's what would have happened. You know, but the thing is, if you, you think about that situation, you think about George Floyd's situation, mm -hmm. and then let's think about Dylan Roof. Today of the, I think it's today, the fifth anniversary of when he shot and killed the folks in the church, prayed with them and then killed them. When the police apprehended him, finally caught up with killing, who, who had killed eight people by they approached his car, tapped on his window, reholstered their gun. Put him in the arrested and put him in the squad. Were careful to um, 
hold his head in such a manner where he didn't bang it up against the door or the ceiling. And he was hungry, so they got him a hamburger. And he had killed eight black people in church. And you you compare those two arrests, and that says it all. Those three arrests. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not the same. I, when I was covering Obama in, in New Hampshire, I got caught up in a, I got caught in a speed trap, like midnight or something like that. I was trying to get to my hotel. I'd been out covering a get out the vote meeting. And then I had, I hadn't eaten anything, so I went to some bar and had something to eat. Um, because it was the only thing that was open at that time in New Hampshire. And so I'm trying to figure out how to get to the hotel. And I'm driving because i got to get up early to get on the press bus. And I get pulled over by a cop. They pulled me over, and I was speeding. And so he runs a record on me. And then he said to me, it was two above zero. It was January in New Hampshire. He says to me, unprovoked, that um, he could make me sit out on the sidewalk and wait till he did all this. And because I'm a, I'm a very patient man and everything, I just looked at him like he was a fool, but I didn't say anything. I said nothing when he said that. I just ignored him. And I think it must have registered. Well, first of all, I had Illinois driver's license. I had a rental car, and he ran he ran these reports on me, and there was nothing there. In fact, this was the, the one and only speed ticket I've gotten in my life he gave to me. Uh, but the thing is, you know, wh- why, w- why would a cop just voluntarily threaten you, and you're doing nothing? You know, I mean, I wasn't arguing with him. I, you know, basically, I told him, "Oh, I didn't realize that the the, the um, speed the speed um, zone changed, and mm-hmm. I, I missed the sign." So I was trying to figure out how to get back to the hotel, not looking at speed signs. And it was one of these things where it was seventy miles an hour, and it dropped to thirty for about two blocks or something, yeah. and then it went back up to seventy. Uh, by the way, so. This was 2008. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you're young, you were obviously younger than you are now, but you're still not a young man. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in my 60s. Yeah. I would not. I, I, I would not view you as a physical threat. So back. Right. So what do you think? And how old was this cop? He's in his 50s, I guess. And a white man. You no, know, because one of my white friends. I told my one of my white friends about it. And I was very upset, you know, about it. This was later, you know, mm-hmm. weeks later. And he told, he says to me, and this is, you know, I don't think like you, you white folks, so it never occurs to me. He says to me, did it ever occur to you that he's a 50-something-year-old man with the mid- midnight shift? Given <laughs> having to check uh, on, on people to give him uh, speed tickets. And so he was not in a good mood. Yeah, oh no! I didn't even that didn't occur to me. 
Well, that he was a loser. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, I no, I I'm gonna have to disagree with your friend there. I think something else is going on. I have to think about it, but uh, I yeah, no. Well, the thing is, okay, um, political angle on this. The thing is, New Hampshire doesn't have a tax, a state tax of any sort. So they would they use parking tickets as a as, as a main source of revenue. Yeah. I mean, speeding tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, and I noticed that when I was first getting into town, and I should have paid attention to it because I saw people pulled over. You know, the blue lights were flashing. Yeah. Monroe, I have no, I have no place. doubt. I've no doubt uh, that, for instance, if I were speeding, I would have been ticketed. Okay, no doubt about that. Yeah. All right, because right. that's the source no, yeah, of revenue. You would have, yeah, yeah. that happened right. in Wisconsin. People it, for years, people coming crossing the state line, going in from Illinois to Wisconsin, uh, get pulled yeah, over. Yeah, their for, summer homes. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. get pulled over. It's a, for, a source of revenue. You're absolutely correct. So that shakedowns right. are going on a long time. So let's just right. remove it. It's the comment. That I could make you sit outside in the cold, right? And it's so gratuitous, so unnecessary. Just right. What, what and that you know is uh, the element of the story that I don't know if he would have said that to me. I mean, I just no, I no, no, he, he wouldn't have said that. Yeah, I don't. I just I don't know. yeah. And so yeah. I don't even know, like, the l- whole loser thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying into that because it's sort of like yeah, there's something else going on, and I'm not quite sure what it is. You would need Dr. Right. Freud no, to I, figure it out. Yeah, right, you, right. You know. It, you know, it's probably, you know, it's probably just simply because I, I, I was black. You know, and that's, that's part of the, with for white people, that's part of the white privilege. You know, I, I tell white people, all the time that uh, they 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 have white privilege, and uh, and many of them who aren't making a lot of money, don't have a lot of power, are insulted by that. And they start telling me, well, I do this or that, and I earned and all this stuff. And when you talk about white privilege, what it means is you don't have to experience the many m i n i insults that black people. You know, you, you you walk into a store and they they they're watching your every move like you're a shoplifter. Uh, you, you give them a twenty dollar bill and they double check it to make sure it's not counterfeit. It just it, um, I I I have been uh, stopped for driving while black at least half a dozen times. The different points in my life, and unfortunately, I've had a, a long life, so mm. it doesn't happen when you average it out. It's maybe every ten years, or yeah. something like that. All right, Monroe. It let's still let's uh, let's okay. talk about some move of the uh, yeah. yeah, move on and talk about uh, some of the cultural changes. You you mentioned this to me, uh, and I've been thinking about this anyway. Gone with the Wind, uh, right? Uh, Which is it? a horrible movie. I mean. I'm, I'm with you 100. I'm with you 100. percent I watched this once, yeah, as, as an adult, and you know, I mean, from the very opening, where they're arguing over who gets to say quitting time, to the um, movie 
everybody's having a baby. And the black maid says, I don't know nothing about birthing no baby. You know, which is ridiculous. I mean, because they, that, that wouldn't be the situation. I mean, it's just, it's, and it's just, it's a crazy racist movie to me. So how do you think, so it sh- I, I, how, how do you think society should deal with it? I think what they're doing is good, you know, because the movie was, the movie was a breakthrough technologically, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that makes it historically significant. All the technological breakthroughs they had on it. And it was like a blockbuster. And so you, you can't ignore it, but I think it's a good thing to have a, uh, an opening where it puts it in a historical context. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I think that's good. And I, I don't think a whole bunch of black folks are going to be watching it anyway. Yeah, no, I... Uh... My attitude is, 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 frankly, folks, I don't give a damn. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the notion of a disclaimer uh, splashed uh, attached to it would be a good idea. Just like the New York Times did with um, uh, Senator Cotton. I don't know if you followed this one. This one was uh, Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, uh, wrote. Who who, who, who talked about uh, how we needed soldiers. Yeah, sending the the army. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, uh, right. there's so many of my favorite little uh, themes in this story, That one of which, top of the list, not the top of the list, but definitely on the list, is the notion that he actually wrote the damn essay as opposed to one right. of his aides writing it. Uh, whether right. he read the exactly. essay is uh, questionable. Uh, but anyway, right. the New York Times... Yeah, it's, he could have said he was misquoted. <laughs> yeah, he could have like Charles Barkley. Uh, I was misquoted in my autobiography. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, the, with the way the, near, the, the essay is still drew a lot of uh, criticism from New York Times reporters and writers, staffers, etc. Uh, and so what the New York Times, it's still on their website. You can still read it, but there's this disclaimer right. uh, up there that points out all the errors and uh, right. consistencies. Yeah, well, and with Gone with the Wind, with Dave, you know, I think they're going to have some sort of screen um, educator, a professor or something, movie, who can talk history, you know, the history of the, that time period yeah. and of how how many ways the movie's incorrect. It's fiction, you know, so it's allowed to be incorrect. All right. But just explain explain it. Okay, now with Aunt Jemima, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to just continue the brand, basically. And it's been around like 100 years. And it's... It, it, it never was beloved by black folks. I can remember as a kid, 12, 13 years old, somewhere in that era, area, where uh, we were playing the dozens, and, and one person's retort in the dozens was, ain't your mama on the a pancake box? As a foot now. Mm-hmm. Ain't, ain't your mama. Yeah. Not ain't your mama. Right. With the, with the ride. Yeah. Uh, you know, but back then, she had the whole mammy look, the bandana, everything. Right. And they tried to upgrade it recently, where she looked like she's a, 
a modern woman, but the, the the name is ruined forever. Yeah. You know, I I don't I, I all these exotic names you hear black people have. I have a, never run across a Jemima, Jemima as a first name. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like uh, being named Judas, I guess. Yeah. You don't run into any Judases. Well, le, le, how, uh, so how long do you think this is going to last, Monroe? Uh, <laughs> you know, like. The, I've been here. Yeah. I've been here, done this before. So we, we may have a year or two, unless this is in fact one of those. Sea change moment. It happened with with uh, gays people not that long ago, where they were being completely discriminated against and everything. To where now they're in a completely different. They can get married you know, uh, thanks to the Supreme Court ruling of it that you can't discriminate against them just because they're gay. So. We may have this moment, but I'm I'm not that hopeful. Yeah. You know, I have a wait and see attitude. Let's let's let's, let's discuss it a year from now and yeah. see where we are. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that one. All right, we'll close it down with your uh, brief review of the Five Bloods. Your assignment from last week, if you recall, was to watch the movie. You protested yeah. initially, yeah. thinking it was going to cost you money, and then it turned out that yeah, you right. could just stream it like uh, the rest of us. Uh, so exactly. Uh, and I watched it the first day. The first, so did I. Friday, I saw it the first Friday. I just remind folks, yeah. uh, the great Sergio Mims uh, and Danielle Scruggs will be doing a uh, a bonus show. We're going to break down the movie and talk about Spike Lee, etc. It's going to be a total Spike Lee uh, fest on the Ben Jarofsky show tomorrow. Uh, but what's your uh, review of The Five Bloods, Monroe? Well, see, he really captured. With the exception of they weren't getting high enough, you know, they, he didn't have them smoking dope off of, and a lot of them did. But he really captured it. Uh, from from I, I I I was fortunate enough not to go to Vietnam, so I have secondhand knowledge on this. But I I had my my friend uh, Charles Ellison. Uh, he went there, and he came back with story. Um, my my best childhood friend when I was raised when I was raised in, in 65 or 66 had gone over and come back and I saw him and he told me do not go to Vietnam <laughs> whatever you do it was that bad of an experience and you know and I had I had friends tell me about how they always sit black soldiers on the point that's what they called it as it was told to me they called it the point you when they went on on, on these these um, scouting episodes, looking for the um, scouting uh, yeah, episodes, looking for the enemy through the jungle, they would put uh, they'd always manage to find a black person put on the point for two or three, and those were the people who were shot quickly. They were the immediate target. So yeah. if you the casualty rate was high if you were of the point. Uh, there was there was all sorts of discrimination going on, and, and my friends told me about it. And, and I, I don't know if I told you this on show last week or when we were talking, but one of my neighbors um, fragged his lieutenant. 
Wisconsin, which is oh, you did tell me that. Yeah, I don't know if you told me that on the air, but you told me that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you did right, tell me exactly. that. Exactly, and um, exactly, and and, and um, yeah. So it's you know, but you had this brother in the army was supposed to be integrated, but you know, it's sort of like um, at high school where they're integrated, but black kids eat at one table, yeah. and white kids eat at another. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and from what I can tell, that has changed with the, the millennials to, to some degree. It's, it's not 100%, but I, I think uh, there's a whole lot more integration going yeah. on now than there was back then. Well, well, we'll close this interview where we began it. The one place it didn't take place where the black kids ate at the one table and the white kids ate at the other was at Roosevelt High School in Gary, Indiana, where that one right. white kid <laughs> ate at the table. Right. <laughs> he was he welcome to right. eat at the other at the black tables. Right. It's not that he had a lot of choice. Uh, right. Right. But uh, all right, Monroe, uh, it's a pleasure talking to you as always. Stay safe, stay sound. We're going to hold off for next week. Your uh, November is coming. Uh, we didn't really get into that, but uh, no, we got plenty of time to talk about it. So we'll uh, talk yeah, about that I, next I, week. Oh, all right. and Joe, you missed it. But okay, let me tell you this real quickly. Joe Biden just ripped Trump a new one in a press conference. I mean, in a, a speech that he gave in Pennsylvania. He said he was... He, I mean, he just—he he said Trump was was um, incompetent, didn't want to lead. Um, had caused tens of thousands of deaths with the virus. I mean, he just—he really did a great speech. Well, you I'm going to check, check it out. I'll get back to you next week on this one because, as you know, my big criticism of uh, Joe Biden all along when it came to Trump was that he was uh, too hesitant to engage. So. Uh, well, he engaged. Okay, today. yeah. Engaged. We'll, we'll break it down tomorrow and then talk about it All next right. week. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. The great Monroe Anderson, the pride of joy of Gary, Indiana. Monroe. Monroe. Uh, Monroe. Money Woo! Monroe, as they call him. Uh, so that's it for our show for today. D, any updates for us before we head out the door? Yeah, quick update here. First up, well, we have two updates. Uh, one, uh, some very informative news. The other, eh, not so much, and we'll just make fun of it, but it's good times. All right. Informative stuff yes. first, okay? okay. Uh, the following comes from Block Club Chicago and Kelly Bauer. A new $900 million coronavirus recovery fund will help businesses and families get back on their feet across the state, says Governor J.B. Pritzker. Uh, the sprawling program will help renters, businesses, and black and brown communities which have been hit the hardest by COVID-19. So, yeah, it says here this new $900 million coronavirus recovery program uh, is in effect. All right, I have to see. Uh, take. I'll go through that myself tomorrow and talk about that tomorrow. All right. So now the thing we can make fun of. <laughs> hey, guys, did you know Lincoln Yards? Oh, my God. <laughs> is getting a new drive-in oh movie theater? God. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, ben, Lord. let's go. You and me should go. We should go sometime oh, and go see a movie. Oh, wait. Hold on. I'm looking at the price. Okay. I'm out. $35. Not going. I, I, I can't even get the words out. Dennis told me about this before the show. And, I, folks, I have to tell you, when he told me this, 
we were, we, okay, can I just back? We, we were doing this in the context, I was saying, oh, but, you know, com- comedians are starting to go, uh, you know, back and do, uh, they're doing live performances. Gary Owen did a live performance. Uh, Dave Chappelle did a live performance. So I was like, oh, you know, it's good to know that comedians are finally getting back out. And then Dennis said, uh, Lincoln Yards is going to do a drive-in. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't admit it's kind of embarrassing. I thought he meant the rock group. So I go, the rock group? Oh, Lincoln Park. Yeah, I go, remember, I go, the rock? No, not the rock group. Lincoln, yeah. You, you talking about that Tiff Boondoggle that we spent $1.3 billion on? Yeah, that one. So here, folks, here, here, here's the double middle fingers in the air to you, okay? This program, this Lincoln Yards, oh, God, I got I to gotta write a story about this. This Lincoln Yards is funded by money intended to eradicate blight in low-income neighborhoods that without that aid, would not have any assistance at all. They're spending it in a gentrifying, upscale neighborhood where people have a lot of disposable income, okay? How much disposable income do they have? Well, I'll tell you how much they have. They have so much disposable income that they can afford to spend $35. Now, it's per car, if that makes a difference. Oh, big difference, yeah. $35 to go see Ferris Bueller's Day yeah, Off. Yeah, that's the movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You know, you insult us, Chicago. And you know what, Chicago? You kind of deserve it. Because when it comes to the TIFFs, you're so dumb. When it comes to TIFFs, I don't know, it's so complicated. The guy in the reader's been writing about it, but I don't understand it. Even Alderman don't understand it. But so, I read, when Dennis told me that, when D, when you told me that, $35, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and then they like... What movie can we show that'll bring everyone together? <laughs> the lamest movie in the world. I'm sorry, man. I'm just like, through with you, Chicago. You guys are so dumb, okay? St- I'm through with you, Chicago. <laughs> we'll be back here tomorrow with another Ben Jarofsky show. I've been saying I'm through with you, Chicago, for 40 years, D, and I never go anywhere, so... Yeah, we got a good kick out of that on the uh, live stream chat. Oh, Chicago getting God. new drive-in movie theater at Lincoln Yards. Uh, with programming from the Davis Theater. Now I, guess- I love the Davis Theater, by the way, but come on, Davis Theater. That's the best you can come up with? Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah. Uh, we don't want a controversial movie, Ben, that would offend people. So we're going to show a bad movie that offends your taste. So I guess the question is, is there a movie worth uh, $35? No. <laughs> there's, there's not one? Let's answer that question. You can see Ferris Bueller's Day Off anywhere. It's, it's extremes constantly, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I can't even get the word. No, N-O. Now, oh, wait, let me think about that. <laughs> I mean, if you like, go see one of those, uh, what is it called with the huge screen movies? Uh, whatever they're called. IMAX? Uh, yeah, IMAX. Thank you. God damn, you're good. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that's the IMAX experience. And if I think they charge like 15 bucks for those. So if three people go, it's a... But I'm sorry, D. I'm sorry, you know, I, I want my money back. I want my money back for Lincoln Yards. What a waste of money. This is what they're coming up. Oh, and they and they think you're going to be excited. I'll bet the article is like, oh, guess what, Chicago? You're going to be a butter cow. <laughs> they think you're dumb, Chicagoans. They think you're dumb. And you know what? The way you respond to TIFF program, your ignorance, I think they're right. Hate to say it, Chicago. Not that bright when it okay. comes to Well, tip. I was going to say, we don't think you're dumb, but apparently Ben just ruined that. Ben thinks you're all dumb. Hey, please keep listening to this show. It's no. the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. 
That's right. It's made entirely out of butter, and it, you know it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Oh, <laughs> oh, Lincoln Yard. People are getting upset on the live stream chat that you're trashing Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Now. Oh, that's the part they hear. That's so funny. It's like uh, uh, an American hustle. That's what you hear. Well, okay, I mean, let, they were they were in agreement with you on that. That's kind of bullshit. That it's thirty five dollars. Okay. But right. okay, that's that, now you you're got, going a little far. Oh, trash in the movie. Love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I don't know, 35 bucks? Come on, guys. 35 bucks? And even if you love Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all right? 35 bucks? And that's, I don't know. What's the second movie? What other movies are they showing? Does it say? No, it doesn't say. Well, we're just going to show Ferris Bueller all year. Because it's the only movie we can all agree on. Can we all come together and watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off? All right, guys, that's it. That's the program. Uh, make sure you find us on social media at Benny J show, B E N N Y the letter J show. Send us an email, Benny J show at gmail.com. Let us know what's on your mind. Give us uh, your complaints, queries, compliments, whatever you want to do. doesn't matter. Send it our way and uh, call us seven zero eight six five eight. Well, I got to check the number here. Hang tight. Yes, we have a phone number guys, the Benny J hotline. Oh my God. It's so popular. Like four people have called us, but seven zero eight, but they were good. Calls. They were damn good calls. Yeah. 708-658-4788. The number again, 708-658-4788. That's correct. Be the fifth person to call us. Uh, I want to thank Monroe Anderson uh, for uh, joining us. And also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all of Illinois, without whom this show cannot be done. Yes, yes, as Monroe Anderson can tell you, as everyone in the universe can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dennis. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. And don't forget, there's a part two of this show. We're going to record it after we end this live stream. You can find them at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites. And Ben, who's the guest? Henry Davis Jr. That's right. Brother of Stacey Davis Gates, Henry Davis Jr., and, uh, you know, we're going to twist his arm here. Mayor Pete's long gone. Talk about something else. See you tomorrow. Yes, Jay Marie, Ben Jarofsky's uh, choice in entertainment is very questionable. I agree. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. That's correct. If you think oh, we no were offense, well, fuck you then. Who are you, you to tell me I'm full of shit? Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.